hello, hello. Um, what traits did you guys share that you inherited from your parents? In the small group discussion that we were having, some of us shared, oh yeah, maybe it's our bad eyesight, autisticness. Someone shared they inherited their bad listening um, from their dad. I was like, oh, selective hearing, yes. I think I've inherited that too. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys had some great conversations. Now we have the awesome privilege of opening up God's word um, together. Um, but before um, we do that, I thought I would share a little bit of the background of what we've been going through. So Colossians is the book that we're going through at the moment. Uh, we're going through a series on boundless treasure. And if you haven't grabbed one of these booklets that have sermon taking notes sections and Bible studies in them, please feel free to head on to the back um, or put your hand up and one of the host team members will be able to hand it to you. Uh, but Colossians is... Um, yeah, a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and yeah, and it was to one of the early churches um, in Colossae. Um, and his aim of his whole letter uh, was to really point out how Jesus is the greatest treasure and there's ultimate worth of knowing Christ. Um, if you have your physical Bible, I love my physical Bible and there's a few reasons for it because it automatically tells you where you are in the Bible. I'm in the New Testament because I know that the big chunk here is, I'm only past halfway. So I'm after, it's after Jesus, um, yeah, that we're reading from. So if you have your physical Bibles here, we'd encourage you to open them up. If they're at home, we encourage you to bring them. And if you're at home, I encourage you to go get them so you can open it up to read together. Um, but before we read, let me pray. So praying is just how we talk to God, and we're going to ask him to work in our hearts this morning. Our dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the gift of relationship with you through Jesus. We thank you for um, your word, that it's powerful to change hearts. We pray that you'll be changing our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to remember that we are citizens of heaven and what that means for us. Um, so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Colossians 3, um, verses 12 to 17. So that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now we're going to hear a sermon from Pastor Max, who unfortunately can't be with us this morning because he has COVID. Um, so keep them and Izzy's family and Jameson's family in your prayers um, as they are COVID. Well, some of them have COVID at the moment. But we'll turn your eyes to the screen and let's continue to learn from God's word this morning. Well, good morning, CPUs. Pastor Mac here. I am truly sorry not to be there with you in person this morning. 
However, it's still my privilege to be able to bring you this word via this video. Hey, um, I actually want to start with a bit of the story behind us coming back to the south side of Brisbane. As many of you know that we were actually away for 14 years in Sydney uh, before moving back to the north side for a few years and then finally down to the south side. Now, for me, that's actually been quite a big deal to actually be closer to family for the first time in a long time. And so uh, one of the real joys has been able to see our kids, um, get to know their grandparents better and their uncles and aunt better as well. Uh, but, you know, one of the funny things that have happened is um, just how much you notice uh, the things that, um, that my parents have passed on to me. And they're often things that I find myself passing now on to my kids as well. So I don't know what, which of those traits that you thought uh, were passed on to you by your parents, but I know one of the things for me, for example, is my love of the Brisbane Broncos. Hey, go the Broncos, Friday night. Uh, but also cricket, you know, I love cricket. I was absolutely heartbroken with Shane Warne's passing uh, this week as well. You know, so many childhood memories, summer holidays, watching the cricket was just a big part of my upbringing, something I get directly from my dad. But it doesn't just extend to those little things like hobbies or preferences. I reckon it's a whole bunch of things as well. Like uh, for me, you know, I notice in my kids that they're real hoarders. They, they never want to get rid of their toys, even when they're, they're long past uh, their, their normal play date. And yet there I notice as I'm here uh, interacting more with my family going, yeah, hoarding, that's a, that's a fong trait through and through all the way. You see, the way we relate to each other, the way that our personalities work, the way we resolve conflict, a lot of that comes from our families. Particularly, uh, any of those childhood experiences, they play a big part in forming who we are, our sense of identity. Now, why do I raise that? Well, because last week we actually heard that identity is a really big part of how we live, how we relate to others, our vices, our virtues. And, and like last week, we heard that actually we've got a new identity as citizens of heaven. One, people for whom Christ died where there is no more condemnation. So how identity plays a key role in how you relate to others. And so our passage today is really an extension of that same principle uh, put on that new identity. Paul has one more aspect of our new identity that forms the basis of how we are to live now. Verse 12, you can read on with me in your Bibles. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, I'm just going to stop you right there. Okay, now this is going to be one of those sermons where you only seem to spend half the time on those first few uh, lines and, and then the rest of the time covering the rest of the passage. See, Paul, he's all on about the, these bunch of virtues that we are to put on as citizens of heaven, but that's all because of the basis, again, of who you are. Now, he starts with three parts of our identity in Christ. He says that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, or in some, uh, some translations might even say, you're beloved. See, you're chosen, and that out of the whole world, God elected you for our salvation. It wasn't because of anything you did, not because you were particularly special, but because of God's mercy. Secondly, you're holy, you're special, you're sacred to God. Now, you're holy, again, not because you're morally pure, but because Jesus was morally pure and he stands in your place. And so you're holy, you're a chosen person in Christ, and 
You're beloved. You're beloved. It's a word of endearment, a word of affection. See, sometimes with my kids, I just want to cuddle them. I just want to tell them how much I love them and give them a big kiss on their big chubby cheeks. That's that endearment, the affection that God feels towards us. And well, it's just as well I feel that way towards my kids because I've got to spend the next week with them in isolation. But who does Paul say that you are? He says, you are loved. You are holy. You are treasured. Now, in doing that, Paul's actually making an allusion to an identity of God's people that was actually introduced way back in the Old Testament. See, God actually tells his people who they are after saving them out of Egypt. Here, from Deuteronomy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. See, that's the identity of God's people. That's the identity that's been bestowed upon us. And just like in the Old Testament, we did nothing to deserve that. And I'll say that's just as well, because if our identity was contingent on what we had done, well, it wouldn't be a very secure identity. Now, let me put this another way. Let me put this another way. Because of your identity in Christ, because of his love for you, you have nothing left to prove. You have no one left to impress you are Christ's. Can you see the security behind that identity that Christ has done it all for us, that you are holy, that you are loved, that you are perfect in God's eyes already, that he has done it all, he has fulfilled every demand of the lawyers, taking your guilt and your shame. You see, it's a comfort. It's a blessing. It's the most secure identity that exists and for those who are secure in the identity as those loved by God, it is those who are in the best position to be able to love others. See, let me say that again. Those who are secure in their identity as loved by God are those who are best able to love others. See, the truth is a lot of us still have a lot of our old identity at work within us, our old selves. Right? It's like we have this internal messaging system that tells us who we are. And a lot of that was really as a result of our, of our family of origin, of those childhood experiences. Uh, you know, some of you will have been blessed to have had a family where you felt securely loved by them. But others of us actually didn't. Some of us carry deep wounds. We carry hard, calloused hearts as a result of some of those experiences. See, maybe you were on the end of continual and harsh criticism or you were the regular victim of your parents' angry outbursts. Maybe you grew up under the shadow of a more brilliant sibling and so you always felt just a little bit inadequate, unloved. Maybe you lived with that subtle message that your love was conditional on your performance, maybe your study, for example, and so you were driven relentlessly. Now, as a result, we all can carry a wounded identity. And wounded people are easily triggered. They're easily uh, reactive. We fly off the handle in rage. We are warped in bitterness, and we, so we find it hard to forgive others. People who grew up under performance-based love find it hard to bear with others. Sometimes those of us who are most wounded wound others the most. As the old saying goes, Sometimes hurt people hurt people. You see, for some of us, we actually need the tender heart of Christ to change 
to heal the wounds, to soften the hardness of our hearts. And our old identity, the, the, the old uh, voice that says that you're rejected, you're not good enough, that you're only loved conditionally. We can start to replace that. In fact, it needs to be replaced by our new identity, chosen, holy, loved. See, the truth of God's love is this, isn't it? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. We had this last week. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That is, in other words, Christ knew our faults. He knew our sins. He knew our inadequacies. He knew our shortfalls, and yet he went to the cross for us anyway. Notice, he didn't turn on us and pour out his anger on us for our sin. He didn't abandon us or give us the cold shoulder. He didn't uh, relentlessly drive us towards that perfection of holiness. And he didn't shame us when we fell short. No, no, Christ bears the punishment of sin upon himself to make us holy. He chose to love us even though we were still sinners. He called us beloved even though we still sin and fall short. He showed us kindness. He was patient for, with us, calling us to repent. He dealt gently with us. He humbled himself to a cross. He bore our sins. He, he carried them in his own wounds for us. <laughs> Do you see? If you want to grow in these godly virtues, you only need to look to your identity as God's chosen, holy, beloved people. Now, one of my absolute favorite Tim Keller quotes is this. You might have heard this one before. He said this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Now, Keller talks this about and implies this in the context of marriage, but really you can apply this to all of life's relationships, couldn't you? So my question, CPE, do you know God's love like this? Have you experienced it deeply? in a way that completely shapes and reshapes who you are. I remember uh, talking to a young adult that I'd known for a while, and, you know, he's a guy who'd been really struggling, uh, struggling particularly with anger. You know, he'd regularly have these big angry outbursts, even in our little small group that we're meeting, reading the Bible together. You know, there's times where it even seemed like he was, he was trying to bait us leaders into, into punishing him for something. You know, I took him aside and had a chat about it. And the funny thing was, once we started to dig a bit deeper, it was, it was clear just how toxic his home environment was. You know, there were regular bursts of anger directed at him. It was verging really on, on verbal abuse. But the interesting thing that he said to me was this. He said, I don't even know who I am if someone isn't angry at me. Did you hear that? That was a statement of identity. I don't know who I am unless someone is angry at me. Now, it's obvious that's why he was baiting others and why he was uh, almost stirring up people to get angry at him. 
because that's, in a sense, who he is, what's been drummed into him. He knew God's love for him, but I don't think he really believed it. Now, the path for him to know God's love is going to be long and an arduous journey, and it's going to require a lot of work and healing. But you know, that's actually true for all of us, for all of us. All of us need to grasp more deeply of God's love for us. All of us need to experience more of God's love. You know, in lots of ways, uh, that's actually why in our life groups this term, we've been really emphasizing the role that we can play for each other, uh, the role that we can actually encourage each other in going to the Word daily. Because there's something about the fact that we need to keep preaching God's love to ourselves, right? We need to keep hearing that reality. You just hearing it once won't change you, won't, won't sh- uh, form your identity just from hearing it every now and again. No, it's something that's going to be driven into us daily. Because our identity has been shaped over years, decades, in fact, of the various messages and things that have been said to us by our parents, friends, or whoever else. And so to learn and relearn and have our identity shaped by Christ is going to require a daily, a daily treasuring, a daily listening to what Christ has done for us, for who Christ tells us who we are. See, if you want to become more like Christ, you're going to have to keep preaching that to yourself every day, over the weeks, over the months, as you keep hearing it, as you keep exploring it, as you keep meditating it, as you treasure it. Yes, you will begin to take on more of Christ's patience, His kindness. Bit by bit, you'll become more like Him as you set your mind on things above. See, as you do that, the new self will start to grow and emerge as your mind dwells in the things of God and as we turn from our old self and our old identity to the new identity that we have in Christ. All right, well, I reckon we're ready to move on to the next part of the passage now. Verse 12. Let's keep reading on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, what do you notice about what all these things have in common? They're all relational virtues, right? Now, none of these things you can really do just sitting on top of a mountain by yourself, right? You know, you can't be just so compassionate and kind and humble to rocks, can you? No, see, what Paul is saying is that actually the quality of your godliness is not so much measured in your, say, the performance of your spiritual disciplines, for example, but in your relationships, right? Now, Don't get me wrong, all those hard work of reading the Word and preaching it to yourself, that's a part of it. That's the thing that's going to help you to grow. But if you actually want to measure your your progress and your godliness, you measure it by the quality of your relationships. See, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Yeah, that's where you want to know, am I growing in kindness? Am I growing in humility? Am I growing in patience? Can I forgive people? Can I bear with people? Now, which of these do you reckon you struggle with? Or maybe the more incisive question is, 
what would the people around you say that you most struggle with? I mean, these are relational virtues after all. What would your spouse say? What would your mum say? What would your best friend say? What do you like in different contexts? What do you like online when you're engaging in a debate? What do you like in the car? You know, I remember a time I was uh, driving home from church, actually, and uh, I was stuck behind just the world's slowest driver. I was getting real kind of angry and frustrated. And in the end, I went, stuff it. I slammed down that pedal and did one of those kind of real uh, aggressive overtakes. And as you do when you're overtaking, it's a bit of a slow pay. Kind of gazed over to my left, just window to window, just to, to eyeball who was, who was this slow person in front of me. And then I realized, as I looked through the window, there looking back at me was one of my congregation members. Now, he was very kind afterwards. He texted a message to say, hey, look, just wanted to check that you're okay. You just seem to be in a bit of a hurry, being very, very gracious to me. But what are you like in all of those different contexts that will show you actually something of your heart, what you might need to work on? And yet, it's true. So, you see, for so many of us, that's actually seen in the quality of our marriage. You know, our spouse knows us best of all. How are you going forgiving one another? How are you going bearing with one another? How are you going being compassionate, kind and humble with one another? I remember talking to someone who was uh, recently married, that only been married maybe two or three months in, and uh, I remember copying that to the earful about how hard marriage was and how they weren't sure if they were going to be able to get through this. I was a bit taken aback. I mean, this must be a disaster. We're only two months in. They're meant to be in a honeymoon period. Anyway, I asked her, well, what is going on in your marriage? And all she had to say were these two things, or these three things. She said, she can't stand his driving. He loses food out of the fridge and he snores. The three things that were a total disaster that the marriage was falling apart over were those trivial things. Now, what was fascinating was the lack of compassion and gentleness with each other, right? There was almost a bit of self-righteousness in the plays. There's this sort of petty point-making being done with, with each other. And I always had to say to them, you know what? Christ himself, he forgave you. He bore the penalty of your sins on himself with nails in his wrists. I think you can put up with a bit of food left out. I think you can learn to deal with his driving. The snoring, yeah, you might be on your own with that one. You see, that's the love that Christ has shown to us. He has molded all of these things to us. And as you dwell on Him, as you treasure Him, as you keep listening to Him, that's how you'll be able to make progress in these things because you'll realize that you yourself have experienced all of these things in unfathomable quantities from Jesus Himself. All right, let's move on now to this last section. You see, just as we have had a family who taught us and shaped us and, and, and shaped our attitudes and behaviors, so our church family teaches us and shapes us in our new identity in Christ. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to grace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Now check it out. Your new family teaches and models to each other what it means to be citizens of the kingdom. See, don't ever just think that church is just something that you attend. No, no, church is like your family. And you never just attend your family. No, no, you belong to your family. You are shaped by your family and you shape your family as well. So church is a family, but one that is there to model the values of the kingdom. Right? I think there were three key things, weren't there? We had to be a family of peace, the peace of Christ ruling over us, where we learn to resolve our differences. We are a family of the word, right? As the message of Christ dwells in us richly, that we might remind each other weekly of what Christ has done for us. And we're to be a family of thanksgiving with gratitude in our hearts. We do everything, not out of obligation or with grumbling, but out of thanksgiving. And I love that, that the, the verse there, that we sing to each other, right? We sing together, set our hearts and minds on Christ. May we never stop to cease to sing of God's praises. See, that's part of why actually I'm so sad to be missing things this weekend. As I know it's been a whole bunch of events this weekend. But church can only really reflect the reality of this if every member of CPE is putting it on, belongs to this family and, 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 and wants to do this together. See, it's helping us all to become more like Christ. And no, CPE is imperfect. No church is. There's lots of flawed people here, in fact, if you just look around. But if we're teaching each other about Christ, if we're thankful for Christ, if we're living under Christ, if we're listening to Christ together, then I'm confident that we will grow together to be more like Christ. See, I hope that church for you just isn't just an optional thing when you turn up to, but something that you belong to, something that you can help shape and mold and something that will help shape and mold you. See, I reckon that's actually partly why when church goes bad, it affects everybody, right? When there's conflict, when there's fights and factions, when, uh, when there's unresolved conflict, it causes damage not just to the church, but actually to individuals and their relationship with God. See, it's sad when it doesn't reflect the fact that as church you're called to peace. It affects the preaching of the gospel. For how can you preach a, a, a gospel forgiveness when there's hurt and bitterness and infighting and bickering? How can you, how can you... Now, that's not to say that you're not allowed to have disagreements, but the manner of which you resolve those matters really matters. You see, there's clean disagreements and there's dirty disagreements. The clean disagreements are those which, you know, agree to disagree on some things, right? We lose no respect for the other party. We argue with gentleness and kindness and humility. You don't attack the other person and you honour them as a fellow member in the body of Christ. But then there's dirty disagreements, right? Where there's sarcasm or there's distortions or exaggerations or there's character assassinations where you attack the character of the person and not the issue, right? I mean, that's basically modern day politics. If you want to see that playing out, just, just watch it all the way through uh, the election campaign this year. Learn from that and run away from that. That is not the way that the body of Christ are to live together. But churches that can resolve those differences, uh, disagree in a clean and godly way, that reflects Christ, that exalts Christ. So let's recap where we've been. 
Number one, know who you are in Christ. You are loved. You are holy. You are God's treasured possession. You have nothing left to prove. You have no one left to impress. Christ has done it all and you belong to him. That's the basis from which you can begin to be more like Christ. And if that's true, then every day you need to hear it, you need to meditate it, you need to preach it, and you need to believe it. You need to live it by putting off the old identity and putting on the new. If you you do that, you will grow in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and forbearance. See, how can you not become what you set your mind to? How can you not become that when you have realized that actually all of those things Christ has modeled and done for you already? Do you believe this? Do you live this? Secondly, this will grow as you are shaped by a peace-loving, word-loving Christian community. See, we're all being shaped by someone or something. And as we wrestle it out in Christian community together, as we seek to honor Christ together, we will actually shape and mold each other to be more like Christ. In fact, you should wrestle out what this might mean in your life group, for example, as you encourage each other, as you're being honest with each other, as you're being kind and compassionate with each other. And see, I think that's the real takeaway message for today. It's not be kinder, be more compassionate because I told you so. No, no, it's be kind, be gentle, be humble because you're loved, because you've been shown astonishing kindness and patience and humility. You have someone who bore your sins upon the cross, who forgave you of all of your debts, of all of your sin. Take that to heart, church. Drink of it deeply. Treasure it. Believe it. Live it. Memorize it. Then let that message dwell in you richly as an individual, as a community. Do that. And when it comes to putting on those virtues, you will find that Christ's clothes and make a good fit. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for that word that teaches us, that admonishes us. Father, we thank you for our church from which this body which shapes and molds us to be more like Christ. Father, would you help us to know just how much love we've been shown. Will you help us to know that in your, in your sight we are holy, We have nothing left to prove. And Father, from that basis, might that love pour out from us, from us to each other and to each other to the world. And Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.